Welcome to the November 2014 JPEN podcast. My name is Kelly Ann Tappenden, Editor-in-Chief of JPEN and the Human Nutrition Endowed Professor at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. I'm very pleased to be here today with Dr. Carlo Prado from the University of Alberta in Edmonton, Alberta, and Dr. Stephen Heimsfeld from Pennington Biomedical Research Center in Baton Rouge. We're going to discuss their paper, which appears in the November 2014 issue of JPEN, entitled Lean Tissue Imaging, A New Era for Nutritional Assessment and Intervention. Welcome to you both. Thank you very much. Thank you. The need for body composition data as part of nutrition assessment has never been more front and center than it is right now as it relates to both obesity and the diagnosis of malnutrition with the new criteria that have been proposed. So the assessment of such, though, has always been somewhat limited, perhaps not for experts such as yourself, but for the average bedside clinician, it's been limited to body weight BMI, traditional anthropometrics. But you posed with a bold title indicating that we've entered a new era when it comes to lean tissue imaging. So why do we need to move past that body weight and BMI into lean body composition? Why is it important to go that extra step? And secondly, what has emerged recently in the literature that enables us to take that step? So I guess that while we understood the importance of muscle wasting throughout the trajectory of clinical conditions, I guess most of us would expect muscle wasting to occur in underweight, extremely emaciated and cachectic patients. And with the development of state-of-the-art tools to assess body compositions, we now know that body weight or BMI doesn't account for shifts among body composition compartments, for example. So one of the things that we've seen a lot in our research is that a person can maintain body weight weight but significantly lose muscle mass while at sometimes even gaining fat mass. And that actually occurs very often in aging and specific clinical conditions as we discussed in our paper. So I guess that in other words, many features of body composition can be masked by the bulk of body weight and body weight change. So with the sophisticated imaging techniques that are highly differentiated, we can separate or we can discriminate between the shifts in body composition and what's happening to the lean soft tissue compartment, for example. So I think that as the technology has developed and has been becoming more accessible to us, we can quantify these differences in lean soft tissue. And a lot of the literature has shown us that lean soft tissue has been an independent predictor for a variety of unfavorable health outcomes. So it leads to or having a low lean soft tissue is a worse or leads to worse prognosis in a variety of patient populations. And some key examples that we discuss in our paper include shorter survival for patients with cancer, patients with cirrhosis, patients with kidney failure, for example, longer lengths of hospital stay, or older individuals regardless of conditions, but we've seen some papers with patients with cancer and other clinical conditions as well. Also, the patients with uh, lean soft tissue depletion, they have a higher prevalence of post-operative uh, complications. They require rehabilitation care. 
And obviously, survival has been shown to be shorter as well when we have lean soft tissue depletion. And I think that as in any other clinical scenario, you've seen that most clinical scenarios have evolved to using sophisticated techniques. And I think that nutritional assessment also has to take advantage of technology so that we can assess these changes in body composition throughout the disease trajectory. We can summarize that very clearly in that it's the lean tissues that commute function and function Mm -hmm. is what relates to survival and quality of life and that we can now measure these lean tissues which are often masked by excess fat and other components and we're moving into an era where these compartments we can call them can be quantified whereas in the past it's been very difficult to do that. Very good. So what are the different methods? Can you walk us through these new advances? Yes, we have all the way from methods that we might call research methods, such as magnetic resonance, imaging, and these very expensive, costly techniques that are not really applicable at the bedside. And on the other hand, we do have methods that are that caliber that we might call opportunistic, where people, such as patients with cancer, are having scans done by computer tomography that actually yield the kind of information we're interested in, such as muscle mass. But then we can proceed down the line to methods such as dual energy X-ray absorptiometry or DEXA, which is widely available and can give us estimates across the spectrum, all the way from body fat to muscle mass and bone. And then moving further to methods that can be used at the bedside, such as ultrasound. Ultrasound technology is advancing very quickly. It's mobile, can be used at the bedside, and can quantify compartments such as adipose tissue and skeletal muscle that help us discern body mass index and body weight further into these more functional compartments. So when we talk about the bedside techniques such as ultrasound, are there specific patient populations where the validity is going to be an issue due to factors associated with their disease? I'm thinking of bioelectrical impedance and how fluid status may impact that a great deal. How does it relate to some of these lean tissue imaging techniques? With the ultrasound, probably you would be the best person, but the ultrasound doesn't affect hydration. It's not affected by hydration. So I think that ultrasound has been using respiratory failure populations, HIV, Alzheimer, traumatic injuries, and patients with COPD as well. So a lot of these assumptions that we have with hydration, a shift in hydration status of patients that will affect or that will impact the measurement using bioelectrical impedance analysis, for example, wouldn't be an issue for a technique such as ultrasound. And then what about clinical accessibility? It strikes me that for decades, many dietitians, for example, have been trained to use calipers to assess body composition. Now, clearly, this is far more advanced than that, but if the dietitians weren't using calipers, how are we going to ensure that this is being assessed using ultrasound, for example, and that's assuming that they have ultrasound accessible to them? How do we handle that issue, and where do you foresee accessibility in the future? 
I think that it's all about the value of assessing body composition. An ultrasound machine, just like the BIA, costs about a few thousand dollars. And it's really the value that we get if we can predict poor clinical outcomes in a person who is emaciated or a person who has lean soft tissue depletion and the potential intervention that can be applied in that person throughout the treatment. So, for example, we know that an estimated cost of lean soft tissue depletion in the United States, and that was data from back in 2000, was about $18.5 billion. So this is the cost alone that lean soft tissue depletion is an estimated cost for overall direct cost of healthcare expenditures. So imagine how much more we can save in the clinical setting if we can detect and even intervene once a person is diagnosed with lean soft tissue depletion. So for example, that person, we know that that person, if they undergo surgery, they would not do well, they would not respond well to surgery. That person may actually require more rehabilitation care. So it's really related to the cost effectiveness of the technique. Well, I think the critical piece of information is the benefit to the patient versus the cost of the test. And we really do still have to work out those details because many of these techniques have not been very widely available. Let me give you an example. Uh, it's been recently reported that people entering an ICU have very rapid loss of muscle mass. And those observations were made by ultrasound. And to the extent you can prevent that loss with nutritional support is a critical issue. And in turn, not only prevent it, but you improve outcomes. So we've yet to put together a clear linkage between detection and monitoring these changes and improved outcomes. And ultimately, that relates to the cost-benefit of these various technologies. So if we go back two or three decades ago and we really only had calipers to assess body fatness in a place like the ICU or muscle mass. As you well know, these are important tools, but they're very limited accuracy compared to what we can now get with techniques such as ultrasound. Absolutely. It's been real interesting to watch the papers that have been emerging in the literature in this regard. So for a clinician who does understand the real benefit to their patient and they're motivated to assess this, what would you recommend they do? There's going to be a steep learning curve here. Where do they go? What do they do in order to be able to start using this technique in their institution? Well, first and foremost, as for all of us, we should keep our eye on the literature and see what's coming now, starting with the review that we've written. I think that's a really good grounding in the field. And then continuing to watch what publications come out and see what clinical applications and benefits are really yielded by these methods. Yes, and actually, Dr. Tappenden, there's been a recent paper in JPAN discussing about the use of bedside ultrasound as a practical and reliable tool in the bedside and in the ICU that was written by Darren Halen and colleagues. Just our last issue, the September 2014 issue, you're right. Oh, yeah, yes. So, okay, so that's, I thought it was last year, it was like an older issue, but it's, well, they reported an excellent intra and inter-rater reliability for ultrasound measurements in these patients. And again, they're highlighting the potential use dietitians, nurses, physicians, and, you know, even if you want to incorporate research 
using these tools to predict clinical outcomes, but also to evaluate the lean soft tissue status of ICU patients. So they've commented on how easy to use the tool is, and really it's safe, it's portable, it's fast, and it has a very low cost for the variables that you're acquiring from that measurement. So that's exactly the kind of information we need moving forward, and that'll really spur on the use of these technologies. Very good. I want to thank you both so very much for your contribution to JPEN and the important learning opportunity you've provided with us all. To follow up on these investigators' advice, please do go to the November 2014 issue and read the paper, Lean Tissue Imaging, A New Era for Nutritional Assessment and Intervention. And to help spur that along, this is being offered with continuing education credits so that people can really have some benefit beyond the knowledge that they'll gain, but apply for continuing education credit too. Thank you very much to you both, Drs. Prado and Heimstall.